0: Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Wonderful to see you. It's wonderful to be here and gather with you for worship this morning. And and, uh, it's been a blessing. Thanks for the team leading us in worship and reminding us of God's amazing grace and how eternally indebted we are to His grace. And yet we, we glory in His grace, don't we? And wasn't it wonderful to see these baptisms? Outstanding. And uh, Jake uh, made it to the major leagues with baptizing a a nice, tall, big guy, all right? He did a great job with that. So those both were beautiful to see these testimonies this morning and ones following the Lord in baptism. Now, I'm excited to have opportunity to be over here to worship with you. I've received the warmest welcome this morning to the hub that I've ever received. A young man came up and gave me one of the hub bucks and asked me to autograph it, okay? <laughs> and I told him, that thing's worth five bucks now, okay? So I thought, okay, that, that, that's great. And I hope they will uh, accept it <laughs> as payment. Well, let's look at Romans chapter 11. As you're turning there, I want to encourage you, if you can, join with us this coming Thursday evening. It it is the National Day of Prayer here in our country. It's been designated for a number of years as a day when we can pray for our country, our community, for the mission of the gospel. And I'm grateful for our prayer leadership team and others who uh, set aside a time for us to be here on Thursday night over in the auditorium for prayer. And I hope that you'll come at 7 o'clock. I plan to be a part of that. I think it's going to be a great time for us to gather and to pray and ask God's blessing and call out to Him to be merciful to our country and also to grant us mercy that we might be faithful witnesses for Jesus in these days in which He's brought us into the kingdom for such a time as this, hasn't He? And we want to be faithful. Well, we're here in Romans chapter 11, and if you are a guest this morning, uh, we have been on a journey through uh, this wonderful epistle of, of Paul to the Romans, and I do want to say this before I move on. One joy I've had of coming on a somewhat regular basis and speaking over here is every time that I've come, I've met some new folks, and this morning, uh, a couple of uh, uh, couples that I met for the first time, so it's great to see ones being added and coming worshiping here in our in our service in the hub. Just about four weeks ago I was um, very interested by an article that captured my attention and I shared this last week in the auditorium service as uh, we began looking at this chapter. Pastor Joe was here speaking from this chapter last week. Did a tremendous job with this text. But I saw this article that caught my attention. It uh, was about a a law, proposed law that had passed first reading from the Knesset in Israel. Now, of course, many of you know it's a a parliamentarian kind of uh, government, a coalition party. It's currently led by the Prime Minister Netanyahu. But a law had passed first reading and was scheduled to come up for a vote by the Knesset. And the, the law that was proposed kind of caught the Prime Minister off guard. And so he quickly rallied to use the authority had had among his government to, to get that uh, law canceled and not come out for another reading to the whole Knesset. But the law was this. It made it a criminal offense in Israel to attempt to convert someone to another religion. Criminal offense in Israel to attempt to convert someone to another religion. Now, I, I want you to know, you may be already aware that already in Israel, it is illegal to try to convert someone from their religion if they are 18 years or younger without the permission of both parents or guardians. It's illegal. You cannot just go and hold a, a youth camp and start sharing the gospel. can't do that. It's already a law but now when I heard that I I thought well what's the issue here what's going on are there too many Muslims that are attempting to convert Jewish people to Muslim faith or are there too many Jewish people that are attempting to convert Muslim people and of course no that's not the purpose behind it the issue was a concern from the Orthodox community, that too many Jewish people are trusting in Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus as Messiah, and wanted to bring legislation to try to stop that. Now, my first reaction when I heard that was initially one of dismay. I thought how much darkness there is that in a country that says there's freedom of religion that there, there's not. And, and, and a, a hostility toward this, to the message of, of Jesus. I, I found myself a little bit dismayed by that, especially recognizing that 48% of the population of Israel today is either atheistic or agnostic. 48%. But then I... Thought a little bit more, and it really was kind of a delight that came into my heart as I tried to think about it in an appropriate way. What's the reason for that law or that attempted legislation? Why? Why was that put forward? The reason is because the reality is the gospel of Jesus is advancing. The gospel of Jesus works. How many of you know it works? And it's advancing, and it's advancing around the world, and it's also advancing in the nation Israel. And so that article, to me, was so timely because it's just like the headlines of that article are a commentary on this passage where we are right now. In Romans chapter 11, it's, it's really based on the same kind of situation. And yet, thank God, we have, by the Holy Spirit and by the Apostle Paul, insight on what is really happening, and thank God, insight on what's going to happen, right? So the key question, the key question that Paul, as a skilled debater, asks, and then he answers himself is this question, look at verse one of chapter 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people? Now, why would Paul ask such a question of that? What, has God rejected his people? If you look back in chapter one, verse 16, Paul has already shared what the theme of the entire letter of Romans is. What's the theme of the entire letter? Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the what? Power of God to salvation to the Jews first and also to the Gentiles. So the theme of the book of Romans is there is good news. There is a good news of a power that's from God to bring salvation to Jewish people first and also to Gentile people. But if that's the case, then the unasked question which Paul asks and answers is this. Why are so few Jewish people believing in Jesus as Messiah? And remember, Paul is writing this probably 57 or 58 A.D., It's about 25 years after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And early on, the the earliest believers were Jewish. But over the decades now, hundreds of thousands of Gentiles have come to believe in Jesus as Messiah, but relatively few Jewish people. And there's been great, great division among the Jewish people regarding whether Jesus is Messiah. And most don't believe that. As a matter of fact, Paul is writing this letter to the church of Rome. Do you know what happened in Rome just a few years before Paul wrote this letter? A few years before he wrote this letter, there was such dissension among the Jewish people in the capital city of Rome over someone named the Christus, that the emperor Claudius, for a while, expelled all the Jewish people out of the capital because they were fighting so much over Christus. So Paul is writing, not just to answer a question that's around the empire, but it's been literally in the city of Rome where he's writing this letter, it's been an issue of dissension. Has God rejected His people Israel? And the glorious answer from Paul is what? Verse 1, by no means. (laughs) By no means, absolutely not. So the question is, what about the evidence that seems to say He has? Why are so few people? We're 2,000 years later now. 2,000 years later. And only a tiny portion of less than 1% of the people who profess Jesus as Savior are Jewish people, descendants of Abraham. 2,000 years later. What's the answer? Well, let's answer that today or listen to Paul as he answers it and remember... It's not Paul answering the question, it's God answering the question, right? So there are three truths that Paul shares about this hope. There is a future for Israel. A future for Israel. Pastor Joe opened us up last week, and I, uh, by God's grace, want to bring it to a conclusion today. But Paul shares three truths about the future for the people of Israel, okay? And before we go further, I want to say something, if I might, here. Let's make sure we clarify. To say that there is a a future for Israel, listen carefully, is not to say that everything the Israeli government does is right or to confuse this promise of Paul with the Israeli government. That is a mistake. There has been terrible persecution by the Israeli government of Palestinian people. There have been wrongs on both sides. And it's very unwise for a Christian person, because they are a believer in the Jewish Messiah, to think that the nation Israel today represents the promises of God made to the Jewish people. That's not the case. We have to be very careful about that. Having said that, though, Paul is going to show here that God is determined to keep the promises that he made to Abraham. That through him, his people would be blessed. And through his descendant, who would be the Messiah, his people would be blessed, and the blessings of Messiah would cover the entire world and all people groups. Now, here's three things that Paul shares. Number one, Israel's rejection is not total. Israel's rejection is not total. That's that's verses 1 through 10. Paul says, Israel's rejection of their Messiah is not total. How do we know that? Well, verse 1, Paul's exhibit A himself. (laughs) Listen to what he says. I am an Israelite. I am a descendant of Abraham. I am a member of the tribe of Benjamin. You remember Benjamin and Judah merged and aligned themselves as the southern kingdom, the most faithful of the tribe. He says, I'm a descendant of Abraham. I myself am an Israelite. I'm a member of the Jewish ethnic people. No, he's not forsaken his people. He has saved me. And how many of us would recognize if there was a Jewish person you would think least likely to be saved, who would it be? Saul of Tarsus. But then he shows from history that even in the time of Elijah, verses 2 through 4, Elijah became so despondent about how few people he thought were true, and he thought he was the only one being true. And God had to remind him what? Verse 4, I have 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. You're not the only one, Elijah. You're not the only one. I have my remnant. God has always had his remnant. And brothers and sisters, listen carefully to me. For the last 2,000 years, among the descendants of Abraham the ethnic Jewish people. God has never left Himself without a remnant. There have been believing Jewish people trusting in the Jesus as Messiah for these 2,000 years. The, rem- the remnant remains and that remnant is growing. Praise God. There are more Jewish believers now than any time in our measurable History of the last few centuries. There are over 300 messianic congregations of Jewish people in the United States. There's over 300 messianic congregations of Jewish people in Russia. (laughs) And they are growing and growing. The largest evangelical assembly in Israel today is in Nazareth. Where Jesus lived those many years. Israel's rejection is not total. God has his people. Then number two, here's the second truth Paul shares. Israel's rejection is not total. And secondly, Israel's rejection is not permanent. It's not permanent. That's verses 11 through 24. It's not permanent. Listen to the question Paul asks in verse 14. Again, he asks a question. He's a skilled debater. He poses the question, then he answers it. What's the question? So I ask, did they, they here references ethnic Israel, did they stumble in order that they may fall? The word fall here means to be destroyed. Did, Did they stumble? so badly in rejecting Messiah Jesus that now they've been, for all practical purposes, destroyed? What's Paul's answer? The same answer is in verse 1. By no means. may Meginita is the word. King James re- translates it. God forbid. Absolutely not. Rather, through their ethnic Israel's trespass. Salvation has come to the Gentiles, to the nations, so as to make Israel jealous. Now notice what we learn here about Israel's rejection. It's not permanent. And Paul shares three things about Israel's Non-permanent rejection of Messiah. Number one, the rejection of Messiah brought salvation to the Gentiles. Verse 11, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make them jealous. What's he saying? Yes, the gospel has gone out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And it's gone out to the Jewish people first, but even though they, as a ethnic people, for the most part, have rejected the message of the gospel of Messiah, it's only made the gospel more powerful even to the Gentiles. What was the promise God made to Abraham? In you, all. The nations of the earth will be blessed. The salvation of the Gentiles is not God's plan B. Israel did not reject their Messiah and God said, What? What do we do now? No. God in His sovereignty ordained that actually the rejection of the Jewish Messiah by ethnic Israel would actually send the gospel to the nations. And what would be happen happening as ethnic Israel saw these nations believing in their Messiah, they would be stirred up to jealousy. <laughs> and it will it will capture their attention. It will, it will be an issue that will have to be discussed and, and thought through. Second thing Paul says about the temporary rejection of Israel is that the salvation of the Gentiles is going to draw the Jewish people to Messiah. It's actually this gospel going to the Gentiles that's going to stir up the Nation, ethnic people of Israel to come to Messiah. It's, it's upside down to us, but God has used it as His means of drawing people. Look at verse 13 and 14. Now I'm speaking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch as then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul was called the apostle to the Gentiles, though he's an ethnic Jew. I magnify my ministry that God has called me to be the apostle to you who are not Jewish. In order that by sharing the gospel with you, I may be able to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Paul's heart desire and his burden and his constant prayer to God was that his people, the Jewish people, might come to Jesus. And the best way he had of bringing them to Jesus was to tell everybody about Jesus. He actually, God uses Gentile folks and their faith to draw Ethnic Jewish folks. Last week I I shared this illustration over in the auditorium. If you heard it before, if you were there, I apologize. Or if you watched that message, I apologize. But I'm not apologizing because I just like to tell the story. Okay. I have three or four books in my library by a, a, a tremendous Bible scholar by the name of Charles Feinberg. Charles Feinberg. And Charles Feinberg, one of the great theologians and one of the great experts of a generation in Semitic languages. He's been dead for a little over 20 years now. But Charles Feinberg was raised in an Orthodox Jewish family in Pittsburgh. He was a Phi Beta Kappa graduate of the University of Pittsburgh. But while he was in his final days there at the University of Pittsburgh, his Orthodox Jewish family hired a Sabbath Gentile. Now what's a Sabbath Gentile? A Sabbath Gentile is a non-Jewish person who is hired by a Jewish family, Orthodox Jewish family, to do work on the Sabbath that the Orthodox Jewish family can't do. And they go through the ritual cleansing so that they are clean and then they serve the family do the things on the Sabbath. Well, what the family did not know is they hired this lady who had decided she would take a part-time job as a Sabbath Gentile in order to be a witness to a Jewish family. And so she was there doing the chores and her spirit was so joyful she seems to be So full of happiness, and she was kind to everybody, that young Charles had questions. And so he began to ask her about her faith. And this woman began to share with him about her faith in Messiah. Well, he started asking more and more questions, some questions she couldn't answer. So she asked him if he would come with her to meet a teacher in Pittsburgh And he went with this woman to meet Dr. Solomon, who was a teacher among a Jewish outreach ministry. He himself was a believer in Jesus. And by God's grace, this man was able to lead Charles Feinberg to faith in Jesus. And Charles Feinberg went on to be an incredible scholar He taught in seminaries. His books exist to this day. They are tremendous. But it all happened because a woman who worked in his house seemed to have something about her faith that he did not possess. Stirred him up to jealousy, you could say. So what's Paul say? The rejection of Messiah has brought salvation to the Gentiles. The salvation of the Gentiles is drawing Jewish people to interest and ultimately faith in Messiah. And thirdly, the salvation of the Gentiles, that's us, expresses an amazing and radical inclusiveness of grace. Let me say that again. God reaching out to us through his son, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, is doing a work of amazing, radical, inclusive grace. What do I mean? He is taking Messiah and making a new covenant people of Jews and Gentiles merged together by faith in Christ. Verse 24 He gives the illustration of the olive branch that's grafted in. And he says to Gentile people, and if you're a Gentile today, he's saying this to you. If you're a believer, for if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree, that is, you are not by nature a tree that has been cultivated olive tree, meaning here Israel... You're part of a wild olive tree as a Gentile. If you have been grafted in, how much will more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? What is he saying? If we Gentiles who are not by nature the people, ethnic people of God, if we have become part of God's family through Christ, Those who are ethnic Israel, how much more is it that they will be able to be grafted in? So that there will be an olive tree of wild branches that have been grafted in. And this olive tree has branches that have been brought in that are natural. They are of the ethnic people of Israel. But notice, it's one tree. One faith. One Messiah, one new humanity, Jew and Gentile in Jesus Christ, right? Now, the life of Messiah flowing to the nations is the source of the hope for Israel. You say, what's the hope for ethnic Israel? It's the gospel. The gospel flowing To the nations everywhere. And that's Paul's third truth. Here's what I want you to see. Israel's regeneration, ethnic Israel's regeneration, is not in doubt. Their rejection is temporary. Their rejection is partial. But Israel, ethnic Israel's regeneration is not in doubt. And that's what verses 25 to 32 say. Paul, by God's Spirit, draws back the curtain. He draws back the curtain, and he gives us just a glimpse. Now, we're going to get just a glimpse here of God's plan for Israel. He's going to draw back the curtain, and we get a glimpse of God's plan for Israel. And what we see is three things are displayed when God draws back the curtain of revelation here. And shows us something that people never knew before Paul shared it. What are they? These three things. We will see God's mystery revealed, God's mercy exalted, and God's mission accomplished. By this gospel going to the nation, here's what's going to happen God's mystery will be revealed. God's mercy will be exalted, and God's mission will be accomplished. Now look at this. God's mystery revealed. Why do I use the word mystery? Verse 25, Paul says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. Brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, there's a couple of key words here. Make sure you understand them. First of all, the word mystery. The word mystery is a word used 17 times by Paul in the New Testament. 17 times. This is the first time he uses it, of the 17 times. The word mystery here does not mean what we usually think by the word mystery. When we say mystery, here's what we think. Here's some clues, and you examine those clues, and then you figure out something difficult to understand. That's what we think mystery means. Not this word. This word, mystery, Greek word, mysterion, means literally something that has been hidden, now being revealed. It's not something difficult to understand. You could have never understood it because it was hidden. But now it's being revealed and explained. That's what the word mystery means in the New Testament. Something that God has kept hidden, but now He is revealing Here is what this mystery is. It was hidden. What was hidden? A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, what's this partial hardening? This partial hardening is a temporary spiritual hardness. It's a a judicial hardness that's come because of the rejection of truth. And the Lord has given a judicial hardening of ethnic Israel. What What is a judicial hardening? Joe said it last week, I think, here, and I'll say it again, and I share it over there. Judicial hardening is this. It's when the will nots Become the cannots. It's when the will nots become the cannots. It's when the Lord says, Come, come, come. And someone will not, will not, will not. And then judicial hardening means God says, All right, you cannot. What did Jesus say as he was riding into Jerusalem on the donkey, weeping? What did he say? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, you stone those who have been sent to you. How often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chickens beneath her wings and you would not. Therefore, your city will be left to you desolate. That's what Jesus said through tears as He was riding in Jerusalem. He was speaking as God Almighty. How often I've called you Israel. How often I've called. You've killed my prophets. You've stoned those that I've sent. Now you're going to murder my son. Your house will be left desolate to you. That's judicial hardening. My friend... May God keep any from my voice this morning, hearing my voice this morning, that you would say, I will not, I will not, I will not respond to the Lord. And then a day would come when you cannot. God forbid that. But now notice an important word. Until this hardening is not forever It is, notice, a partial hardening. There are those who are believing of ethnic Israel. It will continue until the fullness of the nation, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. This can mean the huge gathering of the millions and no doubt billions of people who have and are and will come to Jesus. But there will come a time when that season will be coming to a close. And then, then, there will be the moment once again for Israel, ethnic Israel. This will happen until the fullness comes in. Now you say, well, when is that? Well, we're not told exactly in Scripture. But... Indications using this time of the Gentiles seems to indicate toward the end of the age, toward the end, before Jesus comes back. Jesus used this phrase in a different way himself. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus was talking in the temple, and he said, "These stones will be torn down." And they said, "Well, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming? And here's what Jesus said. Luke 21. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its destruction has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are in, are inside the city depart. Let not those who are in the country come into it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. There will be great distress upon the earth, not just Jerusalem. And wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword, led captive among all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, notice, until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Paul talks about the times of the Gentiles, the gathering. Jesus references this time of the Gentiles that Jerusalem will be trampled under. It will be like a a place of battle. And then what will happen? Listen to Jesus. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on earth. Distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding as what is coming on the world. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. It's going to be a time of great trial And tribulation. And when all looks hopeless on the earth. What then? Then they will see. The son of man. Coming in a cloud. With power. And great glory. Now when these things begin. When you see these things begin to take place. Straighten up. Raise up your heads. Your redemption is drawing near. (laughs) Don't be afraid, but know that when the bottom looks like it's out, (laughs) the top is going to be removed, (laughs) and Jesus is coming. The Old Testament prophets and Jesus talk about a time of tribulation, especially in the Middle East. And it talks about a time when there will be a national turning of Israel. They will look on him whom they have pierced. They will mourn for him. As a parent mourns for a child. And a nation will be born like as if in a day. What's the Bible indicating? What's Paul saying? That this temporary hardening and unbelief of ethnic Israel will not last forever. Israel will come to Messiah. Messiah. Does not mean every single Jewish person will be saved. Doesn't say that. But it'll be a national awakening. By what? By the gospel of Jesus and the return of our Lord. And God's mission will be accomplished. His mission will be accomplished. Verse 26 and 27. What's His mission? And in this way, what? When God turns to His people through Messiah. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, and He quotes Isaiah 59. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them. I will take away... Their sins. I will take away their sins. Now, notice all Israel, ethnic Israel, turning to Jesus. This will be my covenant. What covenant is the Lord talking about here? What is this covenant? Well, it's very clear in the Bible this is the long prophesied new covenant. God said He would make a new covenant with the people of Israel. Not like the law, but a new covenant. Let me read to you about that. Listen to this covenant. God says He's going to make with His people. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. With the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand. To bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. Though I was a husband declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make. It's a unilateral covenant. Not a bilateral covenant. It's a unilateral covenant. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. I will write it in on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord. For they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord, how certain is this? Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day, and fixed under the moon and the stars, a light by night, who stirs up the sea so that it roars. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order of creation departs from me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored then I will cast off all of the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. I want to tell you, that's a promise you can bank on. That is pre-written history. That is as certain to happen, God could have not used human language to make that promise more clear. That covenant will be made with Israel. And where is that new covenant? What did Jesus say that night in the upper room? This is the what? Blood of the new covenant. The covenant is Christ. The covenant is Jesus Christ. There's not a Jewish covenant and a Gentile covenant. There's one covenant in Christ. Jews and Gentiles. Believers in Jesus, the walls broken down, one new kingdom, one new people, one temple, one new Jerusalem with the gates, the names of the tribes of Israel and the foundations with the names of the apostles of the Lamb. His people will be His people. He will be their God forever and ever. And don't you thank God if you're trusting Jesus, you're in that covenant. It cannot depart. More certain than the sun in the sky is a certainty that we will be part of that redeemed number, worshiping the Lamb forever. Why? Because God's mercy, based on what? Unconditional election, verse 28 and 29. God's mercy is unconditional, lest you be wise. Notice here, as regards the gospel, they, Israel, they are enemies (laughs) for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, the patriarchs. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. See, God made unconditional promises to Abraham. He will keep those promises. He keeps those promises to all who believe the gospel of Jesus. They are kept by the power of God's elective grace. Unconditional, unmerited favor that is granted to us in Christ. These gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Aren't you glad one day you don't wake up and God has changed his mind about whether he loves you or not? Thank God. The Jewish people will be conquered by God's love just as we were conquered by the love of God. Unconditional election brings a unified liberation. Verse 30. For just as you Gentiles were at one time disobedient to God now have receive mercy because of their ethnic Israel disobedience, so they, ethnic Israel, have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you Gentiles, they also might receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that that he may have mercy on all. Notice that. Do you notice something? Verse 30. Disobedience, mercy. Verse 31, disobedience, mercy. Verse 32, disobedience, mercy. How many of you know when it comes to being saved, we did our part and God did His part. We did the disobedience, He did the mercy. His mercy is greater than our sin. Now notice, you Gentiles, verse 31... They, Jews, but now God has consigned us all. What does that mean? He recognizes we're all consigned. That's a ter- prison term. We're all prisoned in disobedience. We're all in the general population of the prison, of disobedience. Jews and Gentiles. But friends, thank God, listen. Someone has the key to the prison. And who has the key? The one who resurrected from the dead, Jesus said, Behold, I have the keys of death and hell. And in His mercy, He can open your prison and set you free. And He will as you trust Him. The key of mercy is in the nail-scarred hand of Jesus Christ. All people, Jews and Gentiles, united. Several years ago, I was listening to a man give his testimony, and his name was Lon. He was a young Jewish man from Portsmouth, Virginia, and he started attending the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He got into alcohol and drugs in the fraternity He became addicted. He became not only a user, but a distributor of drugs in Chapel Hill and on campus. He tried and tried and tried to stop, but he couldn't do it. He started considering suicide. And every Saturday morning as he would stagger back to his apartment, he would pass this old man in his pickup truck who would be on the street, passing out tracks, talking to people about Jesus. And he had ignored the man sometimes. Other times he laughed at him. Sometimes he cussed and swore at the man. But one time he went by the man. The man just kindly handed it to him. He took it. Went back to his apartment. He started reading it. (laughs) It was a message of the gospel of Jesus. And he went back and he talked to that old man. And that old man told him about a Messiah that loved him because he, this young man was a Jewish man. Told him about the one that loved him and died for him. And that young Jewish man gave his life to Jesus. A few years later, he enrolled in Capitol Seminary in Washington, D.C., he earned a, a master's degree and then a doctorate of theology. Then he went on to Johns Hopkins and he earned a master's degree in Near Eastern Studies and ancient languages. And he became a pastor at Capitol Seminary in Washington. And then he and his wife planted a church, McLean Bible Church, which now today has over 15,000 members churches all around Washington, D.C. He also, he and his wife had a child born with intellectual disabilities and they started the greatest ministry for intellectual disabilities that exists in the United States today. The man's name is Lon Solomon. And he was a drug-addicted Jewish man and someone with a love of Jesus told him how he could be free. God's mercy is in Christ. His covenant is in Christ. What do you have to do? You say, do I have to be a street a street preacher? No. Do you have to sell yourself into an Orthodox home to be a, a Sabbath Gentile? No. You know what you need to do to be a witness? What I need to do is just be real and be ready. Just be real and your love for Jesus, your devotion to Jesus, and just to be ready. You never know. Yesterday morning, I was getting a haircut at 9 o'clock. A young woman asked me, she's studying to be a physical therapist, asked me, what you got going on today? I said, well, on Saturdays, I'm getting ready for tomorrow. She said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. Next thing you know, we started talking. She said, what are you talking about tomorrow? I said, I'm talking about God's great salvation. Let me tell you about it. It was a great conversation. I hope to continue it. 2 p.m., I'm sitting down getting a coffee at Starbucks. I hate to admit that, but somebody gave me a gift card. Okay, so Starbucks. And I'm studying. And this lady comes up from the Middle East. And I see her, and she says, I've got stage 4 cancer. I've got a question. Can you tell me why? I said I can't tell you why but let me tell you about who let me tell you about a God who loves you so much in his son Jesus she said I've got to go but can I I call the church and come see you and talk more about this I said absolutely you see all you got to do is just you never know you never know do you just be real but be ready Say a word for Jesus.